Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. I kind of wondered, is anybody going to show up for church today? You can tell that we're getting towards the end of summer, that school is uh, right around the corner, and it's really hard to believe. It seems like summer just started a couple of weeks ago, but honestly, in about a week and a half, school will be back in session, and again, people will be getting back into their regular routine, so we understand lots of people are taking probably this weekend and next weekend to kind of work in those last-minute vacations told several of you when you came in, I just wish I could work one in, you know, again. So we're thankful that we can have people join us online, Facebook Live. So we welcome those who are joining us live online. And we would encourage you, comment below. Let us know where you're watching from. If you're watching from the beach, if you're watching from Center Hill Lake, if you're watching from home, if you're watching forever, from wherever, let us know that. And also, don't just watch. Share this from our Facebook page to yours because that allows people to see it today, right now, live. They can see it later today or they can see it sometime this week. Again, lots of things happening at Crossroads as we end uh, the summer. As you know it, it's not the end of summer for us because for us, summer goes until, what, September 21st. So we'll be celebrating things on the weekend between now and then also. So again, stay involved, stay connected, stay apprised to the things that are happening. Several of the things that are happening, one of those happens next, two of those happen next week. Uh, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday, again, at the 8.30 or the 10 a.m. service. If you are are someone who has made a decision to follow Jesus Christ and you have are ready to take that next step of baptism. We want to encourage you, follow the instructions that you see in the worship guide. Get in touch with Lori Dove. Lori will coordinate that, and we can get you included in baptism at either 8.30 or at 10 a.m., this service or the service before this, whatever works for you. Again, we wanted to offer it. We know, again, a lot of people still transitioning uh, from summer back to their regular schedule, so it's going to be difficult for some people. But if that's something that you would like to do, reach out to Lori. She will get with you and get the details, and she will get you plugged in for next weekend. Also next weekend, at this service, for our children, birth through fifth grade, that's Wambalan and Upstreet, it's what we call Pop-Up Sunday. It's actually the Sunday that they move from their current class to the next age-appropriate or grade-appropriate class. So again, if you're a parent, again, be here next week. And again, if you can't be here, we understand that. We'll take care of it the week after that. But next week, the emphasis on is on moving from one class to the next. So we call it Pop-Up Sunday. There'll be lots of uh, games. There's lots of sugar that we'll get them all sugared up and send them home with you. Uh, and we won't have to worry about that. But they have lots of things planned. So again, we want them to be here next week. Let me also say this. Wednesday, here in the auditorium, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., it's what we call our call to prayer. It's a time of prayer where we get together. We pray for our country, our community, uh, our leaders, our leadership, uh, our families. We pray for our church. We just pray for our needs. Uh, it's a time when the auditorium itself is opened up just for you to come and go as you please. The lights are low. Uh, the worship music is going, and you can just come, and you can find a place to sit, stand. Uh, you can get on your face before God at the, at the foot of these steps. We just ask that you come and go and do it as quietly as possible. Turn your phone off. No talking amongst people. And again, let it be a time of worship and a time of prayer where we focus on the needs that we have 
and not only the needs that we have, the needs that we're called uh, to be praying for, where it says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, and that's what this is really about, a getting together and, and praying and humbling ourselves and repenting of sin uh, and asking God to do what he can do uh, in our lives and not just our lives, but in our country, because we desperately know that our country is... Uh, in need of prayer uh, more than I have ever seen it in my lifetime. I mean, of my 35 years on this earth, uh, it's probably the worst that I have ever seen. Uh, I'm believing it's so, so that it is so, that it will be so. You know how that goes. Anyway, so anyway, uh, I feel like I'm like 20, okay? Uh, and I, I look like I'm 35, but I'm actually older than that. So there you go. Uh, for those that may not know, I was actually born in Nashville, and I lived there until I completed elementary school. What's really interesting is this. You think about things, and you, and you see people, and you notice things. Does anybody ever, can anybody kind of grab on what I'm saying, and then you dream about it? You, you know, something happens. Well, I was thinking about uh, this message, and I was thinking about elementary school, and I had a dream about being in elementary school. I went to Whitsitt Elementary School, which is in Woodbine in Nashville. Moved up here when I was in junior high. I kind of talked about that last week. But one of the things that happened to me before I moved from Nashville to Lebanon happened uh, in the evening. And, and really, honestly, I, I, there are two words that I could say. It scared and it scarred me forever. It scared me and scarred me forever because, let me, let me date myself. Uh, this will really date myself. Back in that day, we only had a black and white television. Can anybody understand what I'm talking about? Does anybody know? I mean, most of you don't even know what that's like. But we only had a black and white television. We also had a phone that had a cord on it. Imagine the concept. A phone with a cord that was attached to the wall. And you couldn't go everywhere with it. You had to sit in that one spot and stay on the phone if you were talking on the phone. So you got no privacy at all. I mean, so again, honestly, there was a time when we had a party line. Does anybody know what that's like? Everybody was on the party line. So again, uh, lots of things that we don't know anything about now. But again, I was young. I was in my bedroom. I was sitting on the edge of my bed uh, watching television on the black and white TV. And the, the show that I was watching was called Lost in Space. Danger, danger, Will Rogers. Danger, that, that, I loved it. Watched it every night that it was on. I'm sitting there on the edge of my bed it's dark. The sun has set. I'm engaged with Will Rogers. And all of a sudden, from outside, somebody knocks on my window. And I ran out of my bedroom like a second grade schoolgirl screaming. And I was scared to death. It literally scared me to death. And honestly, can I be honest with you? It still impacts me today. I mean, still at 35, I'm a little scared. So after that, every night when I would go to bed, I would make sure the blinds were drawn, the curtains were closed. I'd look under the bed, behind the bed, and in the closet because I was afraid that somebody was watching me. I, I, I had a friend that told me a story years ago. And he had a six-year-old son, and he said, Randy, he said, one day I was going by my son's room, and, and, and he said, Dad, he said, I'm a little worried. He said, son, you're six years old. What do you have to worry about? 
He said, honestly, Dad, I, I'm a little afraid that there's somebody that's watching me. He said, I took a few minutes to assure my son that there's nobody watching him. And I thought I had him, you know, where he was going to be good with it, and he was calmed down. And I was about to walk out of, the, out of his bedroom, and then he said to me, well, what about God? And he said, I had to step back into his room because that question of being worried that somebody was watching him and me telling him that nobody was watching him, and then he questions, well, what about God? It took on like this 10-minute conversation where I had to kind of tell him the difference between God watching him and Santa Claus watching him because again you you kind of understand in in our culture it, it's so easy to get those two confused but he felt like god was watching him the six-year-old kid and he felt like the reason that god was watching him was because god was trying to catch him doing something wrong so when I was thinking about today and where we're going, this is week two of our series, Five Lies, where I ask you to, to, to tell the preacher a lie that you bought into. Somewhere along in your life, somebody said something to you, and it ended up being a lie. But somehow, that lie that you bought into it's impacted your life. And just hearing this, this, this friend of mine tell me this story about his son getting this whole thing kind of confused, it kind of reminded me of watching a mother correct her son or her daughter in a department store. See, th this mother was at a department store with her preschooler and you, you guys know how preschoolers can be. I mean, they're, they're, they're just like off the charts, off the chain. I mean, they're just crazy. If they're, if, when, they're, when, they're, when they're good, they're good, but when they're bad, they're really bad. And this was a really bad instance where this preschooler had, had gotten under the clothes rack and was pulling the clothes off the hangers and throwing them on the floor. And, and, and I, here's what I heard the parents say. I heard the mother say to the child, don't you know that God is watching you? Don't you know that God is seeing you do that? And, and while that statement is true, this mother was using the idea that God, play, that God sees everything. The mother was using this idea to plant this idea in her toddler, in her preschooler, in her child's mind. That there is a God in heaven that's watching her every move. And the idea that was being planted in the mind of that child by this mother is that this, child, this, this, this God in heaven is watching every move that she makes so that he can catch her doing something bad. 
in a bad act. Because when he catches her, he's going to pounce on her for what she did wrong. And to me, it was like I was watching this, this parent, this mother, teach this child that she's like teaching that God is this cosmic cop that's patrolling the universe. Just looking for somebody that he can catch doing something wrong. So here's what I'm going to do. Just a minute, we're going to put a a quote up on the screen. And and it's a quote that I have referred to many, many times. And honestly, it's a quote that I think could probably apply to every message that will be a part of this series. So let me just tell you, when you see it in just a minute, you're going to say, well, wait, didn't we just look at that about two and a half months ago? We did. But here's the quote. A.W. Tozer says this. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, let let me just stop there. Because I use lots of quotes. I quote people all over the map. But if there's any quote that I have ever shared with you and put on the screen behind me for you to see, if there's any quote that you need to write in your Bible or make a note of it in your notes, if you're taking notes, it's what A.W. Tozer said. Because what comes to our minds when we think about God, it is the most important thing about us. So this morning, I want to look at line number two. And we're going to dismantle this lie in just a moment. And again, remember, this is, this is a lie that you sent in. I may have reworded it a little bit, but I want you to understand That basically it's what you said that you bought into. And here's lie number two. It's that the better you perform, the more that God's going to love you. The better you are, you bought into the lie. Somebody told you that that the more you do, the the higher you climb, the better you are, that God's going to love you more. And and let me just say, of the lies that we're going to cover, this lie has probably impacted the lives of more people than I can count. So as we get started, I want to tell you straight out 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 of the chute that I have to be careful because I'm going to give you my definition of religion. And see, when I think about the definition of religion, I understand, and this is why I say I have to be careful, I understand that people define religion in different ways. So I want you to understand, this this, this is actually my definition of religion. And my definition of religion goes like this. I see kind of religion as our negotiation with God. 
It's, it's our negotiation with God to get his help in exchange for good behavior. That, that's the way I see religion. That's not the way I see Christianity. That's not the way I see faith. That's my definition of religion. It's the way I negotiate with God to get his help by my good behavior. But when you think about it, religion is that thing that always complicates what God has made simple. So knowing that religion complicates what God has made simple, when, when I sit back and I look at religion, I, I see two things. I see two problems that I want to cover with you in just a moment with, with, with what I see with religion. But before I do that, I actually want to highlight those two problems. But, but first, first I want to go to Matthew chapter 23, and I'm going to skip down to verse 4. And again, these are verses that most of you have never read, or if you've read them, you haven't paid any attention to them. But it gives us some insight into what we're looking at, this lie number two. Here's what it says, verse 4 of Matthew chapter 23. It says, They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels. Now keep those verses in mind. And let me tell you a couple of problems that I see when it comes to religion. See, here's the first thing I think about religion. The first problem. It doesn't work. I mean, Martin Luther talked about religion being a ladder. That we're all trying to climb. Religion is like this ladder that we're all trying to climb so that we get to heaven. But we're doing that based on our own righteousness. But see, that's not Christianity. Christianity is not about us building an approach to God. Christianity is not about a ladder. Christianity is the fact that God came to us through his son Jesus. But religion, let me say it this way, misguided religion is all about building an approach to God. So therefore, in religion, you're always defined by what you do. In religion, you're defined by where you are on the ladder. So that, that, again, we're talking about me. That's the first problem I see with religion. The first problem I see is what you see on the screen. It just doesn't work. Here's the second problem that I see with religion. It's a show. Let, let, let me give you some context here. Religion is like where you and I do spiritual Botox on ourselves. Now write that down. Because you ain't going to hear anybody else. I mean, it's like doing spiritual Botox on ourselves. Because we freeze our faces into the perfect 
Christian expressions of this impenetrable peace and overflowing joy. And at the very same time, we hide the struggles that we're dealing with and we hide the pain deep inside of us. There's another passage that I want to look at. And as a matter of fact, I'm probably going to go back to this and revisit this in a series in the future. But this is from Matthew chapter 5. And this is a section of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually Jesus' longest message. And, and this morning, we're not, we're not going to look at the whole thing, but, but we're going to spend our time looking at, at just a little bitty section of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and in this particular section that we're actually going to look at this morning, and we're going to kind of unpack it, that there is a group of religious, moralistic people who are actually, they've actually been offended by Jesus. So look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, the first part of verse 17. Here's what it says. This is Jesus kind of addressing this and addressing those people. Look at what he says. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus has been accused of, of, of actually abolishing or trying to do away with the law. And again, when you think about that in the context of what's being said and what the conversation that's being had here, when you looked at the actions of Jesus, that's exactly what it looked like. It actually looked like he was trying to do away with the law because, I mean, think about it. He deliberately healed people on the Sabbath day. He paid no attention to the traditions of the Pharisees. Jesus was a, sin, a friend of sinners, which ran totally contrary to the law. Matthew 15 tells us that there was a group of religious leaders that, that one day came to Jesus. And they said to Jesus, we saw your disciples eating without washing their hands. And some of you say, wait a minute, I don't ever remember seeing that in Scripture. And you would be right. Because what had happened is they had created an oral law to complement the written law. So they took the Ten Commandments and they turned it into like 600 commandments. And see, religion that many of us have kind of bought into, that lie that if we do more, God will love us more. Religion is, is, is this idea that we think that, you know, if I do more, then I'm going to be able to experience freedom. There's going to be freedom at the next level. If I can just do more for God, but what happens is the bar keeps going up. Because time after time, life will teach us that we will never be good enough. Because you see, our lives are a testimony. Your life, like mine, is a screaming testimony that religion or us trying to earn God's love it doesn't work. 
And see, I think what complicates that for us in the Western culture is that we've kind of been raised with this attitude. And the attitude is, you know, you get what you earn. I mean, I've been an entrepreneur before I was a pastor. I still am an entrepreneur to some degree. But we have this attitude, you know, if, if, if I want it, I've got to do it. If I want it, I've got to earn it. I mean, think about it. some of you are real estate agents. If you want it, you've got to go after it. You've got to make it happen. That's our mindset. That's our attitude. And again, we, we have this idea that, that I want to earn it. So we, we kind of take that and we put it in our religion and we say, I want to earn my grace. I want to earn my freedom. So what does religion do? Religion kind of latches on to that idea, the Western culture of earning things. And religion latches on to that, and religion whispers in our ear, well, here's the way that works. If you just give more, or serve more, or do more, or pray more, or read more, or evangelize more, or sing more, then God will love you. Or at least he'll love you more. So that's what we do. But look back at the scripture, scripture, the second part of that verse 17. Jesus says this. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. So Jesus says those who are kind of confronting him that I'm not, I, I'm not going to abolish the law. I'm not going to abolish the system. But I'm going to fulfill it. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus fulfilled the law. Galatians 3.13, I believe. He fulfilled, he bore the curse of the law. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the Old Testament religious systems and ceremonies so that those things are no longer required by the people of God. Jesus set aside the old covenant and brought in the new covenant. But look at verse 20. Here's what he says. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me stop here and make a point. And the point is this. Religion allows us to appear godly at the actual expense of actually being ungodly. And again, that's one of those things that you probably should write down. Religion allows us to go through the motions and appear godly at the expense of actually being ungodly. That'll preach, people. But, but look at what it says in the next verse. Let's keep going. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now, here's what's cool. 
Jesus made a fundamental change without altering God's standards. Jesus dealt with the attitudes and the intentions of the heart. Not simply with external action. See, the, the Pharisees said that righteousness could be obtained, that righteousness consisted of doing certain things, of performing certain actions. But Jesus comes along and says that it's centered in the attitudes of the heart. And see, here's where the rubber meets the road. Look, look at the screen behind me. You're not defined by what you do. Come on, somebody. You're not defined by what you do. Rather, you're defined by what Jesus has done. And see, that's one of my problems with the church today. We attract people to Christianity by telling them that it's the only religion in the world. It's the only world religion where somebody comes along and pays the penalty for you. And that person is Jesus. Every other world religion is about do while Christianity is about done. However, once the person takes the bait and the person bites, it's like everything changes really quickly. Because what was once a story about acceptance and grace, it kind of transforms into a story about performance and conformity I mean think about this we talked about this just a few weeks ago when we looked at Luke chapter 10 that's the story where Jesus goes to visit some friends two women Mary and Martha and if you remember the story and if you were here we talked about how Mary just wanted to be with Jesus But Martha was distracted by all the stuff that needed to be done. And can I just tell you this morning, most of you already know this, I'm a Martha. It's all about the, I mean, it's just, I'm always distracted about the piece of lint on the carpet. Somebody didn't shake somebody's hand. Somebody didn't see somebody. Somebody didn't talk. You know, I'm always distracted about the details. I'm a Martha. But Mary just wanted to be with Jesus. And Scripture tells us that while Martha was distracted by all the activities that needed to be done, Martha was like, Jesus, don't you care that Mary's just with you? Tell her to do something. And Jesus is like, Martha, you've had too many Red Bulls. You just need to chill out. Because Mary has chosen the right thing. And it's that interaction 
between Mary, Martha, and Jesus that brings me to the next point. Look at the next point. What you do with Jesus is more important than what you do for Jesus. See, what you do with Jesus is more important than what you do with Jesus. Because religion is about this drive to do. And again, this drive to do, it's important for followers of Jesus Christ. But we can't do in hopes that we will be loved. We can't do in hopes that we will belong. We do good deeds because we're loved. We do good deeds because we belong. You know why so many of you buy into the lie that the more you do for God, the more God loves you? It's because while you think God loves you, you're also convinced that He's very disappointed in you. To the broken and to the hurting, to the desperate and to the defeated, to the common, the average, the plain and the small, I want you to know you matter to God. To the washed up and the worn out, to the helpless and the hopeless, to the cast outs, the dropouts, the last picks and hypocrites, to the unimpressive and the underwhelming, to the nobodies and has-beens, to people just like me. You matter to God. You are not defined by your worst days or your biggest mistakes. And you are not the sum total of all your setbacks, slip-ups, failures, and faults. Because who you are is not determined by what you have, where you've been, or what you've done, but who Jesus declares you to be. You matter to God. Maybe at some point somebody told you something that simply wasn't true. That you're nothing but unworthy, unwanted, and unloved. But I want the loudest voice in your ear to be the voice that breaks the cedars and shakes the wilderness. And he says, you matter to me. Before the galaxies were born or the first star gave light, before the ocean waves crashed or the night sky cracked with thunder, before any creature crawled or any bird sang, before the planets were set in motion, he set in motion the plan of your salvation. From the highest heights of heaven, the Lord of all creation, looked upon your desperation, he became like one of us to remake all of us, to make an orphan his child, to make a rebel his friend, to set the prisoner free. You matter to God. So to all the sons and daughters of God, to all my brothers and sisters in Christ, behold his power and glory and majesty. Behold the one who matters most. I just need you to allow this truth to sink in. Because for some of you, your life has been an endless attempt to find your way to get back into God's good graces. You just think that if, if I could just be good enough, that God would love you. But look at Romans 5, verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Every other religion says God will love you if you do. But you know what happens in Christianity? God shows up and he says, Randy, you've done enough. I got this. It's not about you, but it's about what I did. I got it. God says, because in the midst of your not being good enough, in the midst of your sin, Randy, I was the one who paid the price. So listen to what I'm about to say. God could not love you any more or any less than he loves you in this very moment. And that's freedom for some of you. God could not love you any more or any less than he does in this moment on July 23rd at 10.56 a.m. at Crossroads Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. And I need you to hear that. But I also need you to hear and see this. Your sin does not make you second class. See, too often the church today wants to offer limited grace, conditional grace. The church wants to offer strings that are attached to grace. I said this a few weeks ago. This whole idea we talked about cancel culture. I'm not so sure that cancel culture doesn't find its origin in the church. Because it's that whole idea that, yes, you're forgiven, but we're going we're to keep an eye on you. You're welcome back into the church, but you'll never be able to be in ministry again. So can I just give you some peace this morning? When God looks at you, He doesn't see a prodigal. He doesn't see a servant. He doesn't see a screw-up. He sees his son. He sees his daughter. Complete, whole, forgiven, restored, completely. No strings attached because you have been made clean through Christ. And it's in Jesus Christ that you have a new identity. See, you're not first and foremost a sinner. You have the capacity to sin. But you have been made clean in Christ. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, we're so thankful for your word that it is alive and active. And God, that we can take as a catalyst those two verses from Matthew chapter 5. 
that we have this kind of tendency to just kind of read over. But those verses actually highlight the importance of understanding that it's so easy to buy into the lie that the more that we do, the more you'll love us. Or the more that we do, you will love us. Help us see through the facade that religious systems have cast our direction. It's not about do, it's about done. It's not about me, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. It's about the forgiveness that's offered through the sacrifice that was made on the cross on our behalf. The debt has been paid. It's your nature to love us. Maybe this morning you need to think about where you stand with God. You've been trying to do when it's actually already done. And maybe you need this morning just accept what was, what was done for you. Maybe today you can accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and invite Him into your life and then take that next step next weekend, which is baptism. It's not about the words that you pray. It's about the intent of the heart to, to change, to repent from the life that you're living and to turn towards God and walk towards Him. It's about a new identity. It's about a new life. It's about what was made possible through Jesus Christ. Maybe in this auditorium, maybe you're watching in a condo in Destin. Maybe you're somewhere across America. Maybe you're somewhere around the world. And right where you are, like in this auditorium, you just need to bow your head and to pray to God in heaven and say something like this. God, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize there's nothing that I can do but that you looked from the very beginning of time and saw me today at this place in my life. And you sacrificed your son for me so that I could have eternal life. And God, today I have questions. Can I just tell you, just again, every head bowed, every eye closed, I have questions. That's what faith is about. It's about pursuing God and asking him to answer those questions. But today you just say, God, I have questions, but in light of the sacrifice that was made on my behalf, I invite Jesus into my life to be my Savior, to be my friend, to be my Lord. And let me tell you, with the intentions of the heart, if that's the prayer that you prayed, we welcome you, to, we welcome you into the family of God. Heaven celebrates the decision that you made here or wherever you made that decision today. Indicate that you would like to participate in baptism next weekend. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask those who are comfortable as you're seated. I just want to pray a special prayer for many people that I know that are struggling with their health. Not going to ask anybody to get up. Not going to ask anybody to do anything. But maybe would you just extend your hand 
towards the stage if, if you feel comfortable doing that. And God, this morning, we just, we pray for those people in our midst who are struggling with their health. All kinds of reasons. That you would supernaturally reach down and touch them in a way that only you can. Francis, Marcia, Brittany, Joe, Washa. God, would you just somehow, in a way that only you can, Michael, would you touch him in a way that only you can? Would you bring hope and would you bring healing to their lives? Answers that they desperately need. Be with the doctors, the nurses that attend to them. Make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. Because that's your nature to love us and to care for us and to want your best for us as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Who lost? 
we thank you again for this time of worship we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit we thank you for the sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ who makes the way there's nothing that we have to do it's already done as we ask this prayer in Jesus name